All right, grab your Bibles. Here we go, 1 Corinthians. Okay, if I got it right, uh, we made it uh, end of chapter 4, talked a little bit about judging one another. Does that sound right to everybody? All right, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig in together tonight. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would meet us in this place. And God, would you help me as uh, we just unpack Scripture together to be accurate, to be faithful to what was written in these words. And then, God, more than that, we ask, would you make it come alive in our lives? Make us leave here burning to serve you better, to follow you more closely. And, God, that this hour would move our lives closer to being like Jesus Christ. And, God, don't allow it to be head knowledge only. Let it be life knowledge. And uh, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we jumped in. We got into 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, is my pad working up on the screen? Yes, no? Do the guys in the back know how to switch on my pad to the screen? Yes, no. There we go. All right, all right. So and you, you t- last week, you guys dove into this idea of judging, and when is it okay to judge, and when is it wrong to judge? And the reason I'd like for us to go back for just a second and talk about this, because I think this is probably one of the most abused and misunderstood uh, teachings in Scripture— Okay? Uh, I mean, every time you talk to somebody and they're out living horrible, horrible lifestyles and you say, look, really, really, you shouldn't be doing that. The first thing they say is, don't judge me. Okay. But then there's the other side. I think all of us have been on the bad side of someone judging us, right? And you think, man, don't, don't you understand how deeply wounding you making those assessments about me and saying those things because they're so inaccurate. And, and, and how devastating it is for you to judge in that moment. So here's the question. When is it okay to judge? When is it wrong to judge? Did we get that landed together last week? When would it be okay? Give me some examples of when it would be okay. Okay. So, uh, oh, okay. Wow. So take uh, fellow who? Christians who are not acting like Christians. Okay, fellow Christians who are not acting like Christians. And you're saying that's okay, right? All right. So you judge the sin and not the person. When else would it be okay to judge? Sorry, I forgot about the microphone. When it's against what the Bible says. Okay. Um, Anti-Bible. Any other things? Any other? Okay. When would it be wrong to judge? When is it wrong to judge? When you're giving your personal opinion rather than the Bible opinion. Okay, my personal opinion. You guys, my handwriting is better than this. It really is just the pad, I promise. That's why I told my banker to. All right. Um, When else? When we're angry. When we're angry? Is that what we said? Yes? Okay. When we're angry? It's really easy to judge when you're angry, isn't it? When we assume... Assume without knowing. Okay. So when we assume things? When a believer judges a non-believer. When a believer judges a non-believer. When it's hurtful or harmful to others. When it is hurtful or harmful. Okay, let me ask a question on that one real quick just before we we go on, on that one. How do I how do I differentiate between when it's hurtful or harmful for others? Because 
don't we all not like to hear hard things? And in the moment we hear hard things about ourselves, sometimes they're absolutely true. I mean, someone comes up to you and says, boy, you were rude. And I don't know about you, but my first instinct is to say, no, I wasn't. You're rude. Right? I mean, but it might be absolutely true. And it actually, even though I think it's hurtful, it might be helpful for me to have heard that moment. I might, that might be the thing I needed to hear, even though it felt hurtful. Okay, so let's keep going. All right. Yep. Um, for us as Christians to judge other religions, maybe. Christians judge other religions. Okay. I would say when your judgment is deciding someone's ultimate faith for eternity or their destiny. When my judgment... So give me an example of that. Decides... Well, just if you judge and say, well, that's, you're going to be in hell now, basically. So you're d- deciding their ultimate destination okay. for eternity. All right. What else would we say? Wrong time to judge. Well, I just wanted to kind of elaborate on the hurtful and harmful um, in the way that I look at it. You can go to a dentist, and they can hurt you, but they're not harming you. Or the candy that you ate didn't hurt you. It tasted good, but it... I mean, it harmed you. Right. Make sense? Okay. So, kind of a... This is hard, isn't it? This is hard to land this. All right. Just one or two more, and then I'll see if I can help us get there. All right. Because I don't want to... Yeah. I, I'm scared to say this, but in my opinion, it's when our mo- my motive is to not love a person, but to um, degrade them, put them beneath me. Okay, when I'm throwing people away. Okay, all right, so there, and then that's the last one right there, and then let's see if we can get us to a land. All right, so go ahead. I personally feel we should never judge anybody. If we're going to judge somebody, judge yourself for your own actions. We, are, we have no right to judge anything or anybody for anything. Okay. We shouldn't be in judgment. We have our God, Okay. and he should be the ultimate judge. Who are we? Okay. So never judge. Okay. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that uh, you shouldn't judge when you're doing the same thing. Shouldn't judge when you're doing the same thing. Yeah, that uh, Matthew seven would kind of say that, right? All right. So let me let let, let me back this up. And, and some of us may not have been in the room last week because my understanding is that Aaron just unpacked a whole bunch of scripture with you guys. And so you know, I don't want to go back and review all of that. Here's what I'm going to suggest. And and. If I suggest this out loud right now and, and you really struggle with what I'm about to say, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I'll, I'll encourage you to come afterwards. We'll sit down. We'll talk. We'll unpack some scripture together and see if we can get to something that has you know, some balance. And, and maybe you weren't here last week to hear some of it. Here's what I want to give you as a suggestion that may help us um, on this topic. When is it right? When is it wrong? And here's what I'm going to suggest. Scripture, I believe, says there are times when you're supposed to judge. And I don't know if you guys did or not, but, I'm, but we're going to get to the chapter in, in probably a week or two. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the next chapter we're going to study. And it's a moment in which there is sin in the Corinthian church. And he says, how dare you allow that to go on? Why haven't you judged that this is wrong? And I can tell you, I'm not even there. And I can judge for myself that this is wrong. And you should have done something about it. So I'm going to say that I think Scripture says there are moments when you and I are held accountable to make judgment calls, okay, to make a judge. 
But there's also passages of Scripture that say very, very clearly, hey, be careful when you judge, for with the same measure you judge, you, you will be judged yourself. And how dare you judge another man's servant, Scripture says. So here's what, maybe this will help a little bit. Here's what I think it is wrong to judge as best I can get. I am never to judge the heart. I have no right to say, the only reason you did that is because you're selfish. The only reason you did that is because you're, and I don't know your heart. I have, I have, there is no way I'm going to get that one right. And I, I don't have any right to look in and judge your heart. I don't. Matter of fact, scripture even says, who knows the heart of man except his own spirit. So I don't have any right to do that. The other one that I'm going to suggest that you and I don't have a right to do is to judge, okay, the quality of someone's service. Okay, here's how I get to that conclusion. Chapter 4, where we talk about judging, is preceded by chapter... This is is hard, okay? Chapter 4 is preceded by chapter 3. And chapter 3 was all about what? A judgment seat. Remember that? And it said, at the right time, in the right place, God is going to judge everybody's works, what they did, to see whether they be, remember, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. Paul then comes and says, look, why are you guys judging? I don't even judge myself. I wait for God to judge this. And how many times, have, here, here would be an example. How many times have we said this? If I had as much money as him, I'd give more than he does. And see, God says, no, 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 no. You don't have any right to judge the quality of his service to God. You have no right to do that. Okay? You're not in, God's the only one that's going to hold him accountable for how he or she did or did not serve. Okay? So question. Does that go back to when the woman gave a coin and they were saying that wasn't enough tithes and Jesus said that's all that she could give? Yeah, actually that story is a little different than that because they they actually in that story didn't criticize her for how much she gave. Jesus actually just pointed out there were men who had given... He he pointed out that they were misunderstanding... Well, maybe it does. So you might have actually gotten onto something there. Jesus said, as you're watching those men give their big bags of gold, you think... They're giving a lot. And Jesus said, what you don't understand is, I happen to know they gave what was left over in their lives. The woman here, you thought she gave very little, but I happen to know she gave everything she had left. So actually, you may have a great example there of what God is saying. Look, you don't have a right to judge it because you don't know. You don't know what I know about what's going on in their lives. And so you and I have no right to look at somebody and say, boy, if I was in your shoes... I would serve God better than you. I would serve God differently than you. You don't. That's for God to judge the quality of each of our service. Does that make sense so far? Is that helping? Okay. But here's the part I'm going to toss out. And this is the part I think we miss. I believe we are not only right, but I believe we are responsible. Okay. To judge. Are you ready? Actions. Okay. In accordance with Scripture. So let me give you an example. If you hear tomorrow that I go out and have an affair, I have no right to look at you and say, hey, 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 don't judge me. I don't. 
Because my actions are a clear violation of Scripture. And the truth is, if you leave me as the senior pastor of this church after I have an affair, you're wrong. You don't leave a leader in place who has just violated Scripture publicly. As a matter of fact, you and I would be held accountable for not doing something about that. Does that make sense? So you and I are responsible. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, By their fruit you will know them. And what is he saying? He's saying it is fine to be a fruit inspector. Okay? We do it with tomatoes. Right? Ah. And he says, look, when someone's actions don't line up with Scripture, you have every right to call their... Guys... If you and I, let's just be honest, if you and I can't hold people up to Scripture, especially those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, then you're telling me, you're, you're telling me what, what? You're telling me that, that couples who are living together before they're married can teach Bible studies? No, they can't. Their lives are in clear violation to Scripture. No, they can't. No, they can't. And a matter of fact, if you and I were allowing them to teach Bible studies, then you and I as a church would be in trouble because we were allowing people in leadership whose lives were going to influence and mar other people's lives. And God would hold you and me accountable for not being fruit inspectors. So actions which are not consistent with Scripture, you and I are accountable, which I'm just going to toss out again. And guys, you don't have to agree right now. We can process afterwards. That would mean, too, I think I have to hold accountable people who say, this is what I believe about God. I believe that God is a butterfly who flans on people's shoulders and whispers in their ears. And I go, no, he's not. That's not what the Bible says. And I don't care if you believe... I don't care that you believe that. It's not true. Because anything that you believe that doesn't line up to Scripture isn't true. It's not. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's true. Because this is the authority. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. How many people are really mad at me right now? Okay. (laughs) See me afterwards. Okay. Good. I just have a question because I understand what you're saying. But where I struggle is where does forgiveness play in for holding them responsible? Because you'll hear people say, oh, I did wrong. And I realized that I repented and I'm forgiven. So why, if, I'll use your example, if the pastor says, hey, I screwed up, mm-hmm. you know, and I've repented and I have asked my wife for forgiveness. Sure. Shouldn't we also show him forgiveness? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And so if, if let's, let's just do the example. Let's, and guys, let, let's change it. Let's not make it me because we're going to get rumors started. People are going to be twittering this out of the Bible study tonight. It's going to be ugly. Okay. So we're going to call, we're going to call him Pastor Abe. Okay. Pastor Abe. And let's say he's a, he's a well-known pastor. Maybe he's the speaking pastor in our church when I don't speak. And all of a sudden it comes out, Pastor Abe's been cheating on his wife. And we go to Pastor Abe and we say, Pastor Abe, you're cheating on your wife. You cannot be a speaking pastor in our church anymore. And Pastor Abe comes two, three days later, falls on his knees and says, Look, I get it. I am wrong. What I have done is an absolute deep violation of Scripture. I get it. I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? Okay? The answer is yes. Absolutely. 
without a shadow of a doubt. Okay? All right, let me, let me go a different direction. Okay? Maybe this will help. I want to be careful. All right. We're all, we're all grown up, right? Okay. Let's say somebody is counting our money. And somebody who's counting our money decides to steal from the church. And let's say that person, after they steal from the church, tons and tons and tons of money, says, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? What's the answer? What's the answer? Yes. And then they say out of the next breath, so let me count the money tomorrow. Whoa, 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 whoa. You told me you forgave them. Okay, and there's where we make the mistake. There is an absolute world of difference between forgiveness and trust. And I'm just going to tell you, you have a husband who cheats on you ten times and says, forgive me ten times, and then says, trust me, honey, that that woman's number on my phone doesn't mean anything, and you trust him, you're an idiot. Okay? Because, because, get this, forgiveness and trust have nothing to do with each other other than this, other than this. Forgiveness says... If you truly forgive, I will give you the opportunity to rebuild trust. See, if I truly forgive you, see, if I don't forgive you, then I say, I will never trust you again. I don't care what you do. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how faithfully. I will never trust you again. Well, the moment I say that, I know I haven't forgiven. All forgiveness has to do with trust is simply this. I am willing to let you have the opportunity to try and rebuild trust with me. But guys, I'm just telling you, we make horrible mistakes in our lives when we believe that forgiving somebody means we trust them again. If, if, somebody, if somebody messed with one of your children in an inappropriate way and then said, will you forgive me? Are they babysitting your children next week? No. So why do we do this with other issues? I don't get it. I don't, they have nothing to do with each other. Forgiveness and trust are separate issues. Other than the fact forgiveness says, I'll give you the opportunity to rebuild trust. Okay? All right. Yes? I really just have a stupid question then because Good. to me it's a lot of wordplay. And when somebody says judge not, I don't judge people for their actions even though I'm accountable you know, as you say, for your children or the things people do. But when it comes down to say, is it okay to judge? I believe in capital punishment and the death sentence. Also, if I'm in a jury, but to go around and just say, you know, that's bad or that's bad. That's not for me to say. It's okay to direct somebody to the right path lovingly, but also not give them condemnation. And when you say judge, I just think that's so harsh. I'm not going to judge you for your actions, but I'm also going to hold myself accountable as a Christian. Okay, so and, and here's, here's, I think, the struggle we have, is that I think you and I have Americanized this word judge, and, and we've, we've allowed it to be distorted in what it means. And, and you may or may not agree with me, because here we go with another example. I, I, think it's, I think it's where we're messed up on spanking. You know, Scripture says very clearly, spare the rod, spoil the child. I'm sorry. That's just what Scripture says. Spare the rod, spoil the child. But you know why we're all freaked out about spanking? Because our image of spanking is some parent who's completely out of control, got blood in their eyes, their veins are popping out, whacking away at some kid, and we go, whoa! But if I read my Bible right, doesn't God spank you and me? 
Doesn't he as a loving father put us over his knee sometimes? So I'm just going to tell you guys, we have messed up the word. We have, we have so distorted what it means to actually give godly discipline to our children without anger, without rage, without being out of control. That we're no longer doing what we're supposed to do now. Because we've messed up the word and we've messed up the concept. So I think we've done the same thing with judging. I think we think, hey, if I judge that what you're doing is wrong, I can't do that without condemning you and throwing you away and, and, be, and just discarding you as a person. No. Hey, guys, let's just be honest. As a pastor in the church, do you realize I have to judge all the time? Someone in the church is gossiping. And I have to go, you know what? What you just said, and in the context you said it, it's deeply inappropriate. It's completely wrong for you to have said what you said to the people you said it to. And then I have to, on that judgment, go to that person and say, you're gossiping. And I'm just going to tell you as the pastor of your church, you have the opportunity to stop. And what, what am I saying? I'm saying I've looked at Scripture, and the actions that you are taking are in absolute violation of what God says children of God are supposed to do to each other. We're not supposed to gossip. And the truth is, think how unhealthy the church would be if we just left every bit of gossip in the church unchecked. And we didn't judge it, discern it, fruit inspect it, and then respond. So you and I are always accountable to take those things, those actions of people around us that we're responsible for that are contrary to Scripture and say, you know what, what you just did was contrary to Scripture. It's called fruit inspecting. What I can't say is, hey, the only reason you gossiped is because you're jealous of them. I don't know that. I don't know why you gossiped. I can't tell you that. I can't say, look, if I was you, I wouldn't be a gossip. I can't, I can't do that. But I can say what you just said is inappropriate. We're having fun. All right. How many people are afraid they gossiped on the way in and I'm going to call them out on it? You're like, what did I say? Yeah. Oh, we got a question. Okay. Question I have. I'm a, I'm a professional coach. I'm a manager with the San Luis Cardinals in the minor leagues. Okay. And one of the things that I give my players is a choice. I think we have to have order. We're not really judging. We're, we're actually telling people the Word of God is the Scripture. It's the actual Word of God. And we have to give them a choice. We educate them. In the, in the end, God will be the final judge. But the thing is, they have to make that choice. And we can't keep condemning them. We have to get away from them if they don't believe us because then all we do is bump heads. So one of the things that I do with my players, and I think in everything that we do, we're all teachers anyway, mm-hmm. is that we tell each one, don't do that. This is why. That's the wrong religion. Like, you know, when you said about the butterfly, you know, the Hindus believe that God is everything. Well, I'm going to say, I don't think that is. And this is why. But you have a choice to believe that as long as we educate it correctly. So it's all about choice in the end. But we have to stand up for what the Lord is. Okay. Last one. And we'll move on because we're not going to get further tonight. Uh, I just have a question. Uh, To recap, you wanted us not to judge Matters of the heart, right? And quality of service, right? Quality of service. If I were you, I would have done that better for God. And that we are responsible to judge actions not in accordance with Scripture. Yes. What are the verses that support this? Okay. All right. All right. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a short answer to it tonight. 
and then we'll get into it because we're going to get there in about two nights anyways. Okay, so the answer is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1 through verse 5. Okay, it's a moment when there is sin in the church, bad action in the church, and Paul actually chastises them for not having addressed it. And then the other one is going to be Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. And it's interesting because Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 come just 10 verses after Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, where Jesus said, don't judge lest you be judged. And then he turns around 10 verses later and says, be a fruit inspector. Okay, and that's Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. So go look at that, go study that. All right, just, I'm judging that we've answered too many questions. All right. Would Galatians 6, 1 apply also? I'm not sure how I would think that applied. Well, yeah, I, you know, maybe. Because you'd, you'd have to judge that he was actually caught in a sin. Is that what you're saying? Now, you'd have to determine that you believed he was caught in sin. Okay. Potentially. All right, so here we go. Let's, let's get back to 1 Corinthians. Let's get a few verses. I'm glad I stirred the hornet's nest. That was a lot of fun. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I believe we are in verse 6. Does that sound right to everybody? All right, why not? All right, verse 6. Here we go. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and to Apollos... For your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Now, guys, I'm just going to suggest that that very phrase there even supports what we just talked about. In other words, he says, look, you guys are making judgments about is Paul a better apostle? Is Apollos a better apostle? And you're going beyond what? What is written? And what are we actually supposed to hold people accountable to? What is written? And you're going beyond that, Paul says. Okay? Then you will not take pride in one man over and against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did? What's his argument here? In other words, remember remember what's happening in the Corinthian church. Some of them are saying, no, 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 I follow a... Paulus because he's a better teacher than Paul. Some are saying, I follow Paul because he's a better, he's the guy that led us to Jesus. And and so I owe more to Paul because he's the one that actually helped me be a Christian. Some are saying, no, 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 I follow Peter because he's leading the church in Jerusalem. And that's kind of the linchpin of where all the Christians are. Remember the controversy? And so he comes back. Let's read that passage again. And he says, for who makes you, this verse seven, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did? What's, what's he trying to say in that moment? As they are favoring one man over the other and saying this man is a better man of God than that. Because here, here's what, remember what we said? You cannot judge the quality of someone's service to God. And in, as they sit there in that moment, they say, oh, no, 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 no. I like Peter better than I like Apollos. And I like Paul better than I like Peter. What are they doing? They are judging the, huh? The quality. See, they're saying Peter's more of a man of God than Apollos is. No, 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 no. Paul's a better Christian. He's a better than Peter. And they're trying to judge those men's service to God. They're trying to say, this guy is above that guy. And Paul is saying, what? What? 
What? And that's why you notice Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I'm not even trying to, I'm not even sitting here trying to say I'm better than Apollos or I'm better than Pete. Why are you doing that? In essence, you ready? Who died and made you God? And then he uses this phrase. Okay, let me read it one more time. For what, for who makes you any different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did? What's his argument here about why no one has the right to judge others better than others or to judge themselves better than others? And again, guys, this isn't about sin. And it's not saying, hey, I sin less than you. This is about my quality of service to God. And why does he say, hey, no one has the right to do that? What does that passage say? It is God that gives us our gifts, and, and it, is, it is him who gives in, in quantity and how many talents we have, how much. So it's, it's all for him. It's same thing. We can't judge. Mm. We don't know of what percentage or of what of somebody's heart. That's a judging a matter of a heart mm. once again. So it's God that gives us our gifts. So get that answer. Because here's what Paul's saying. Even if Apollos is a great guy, if he's an unbelievable speaker, you realize God gave him that ability. And at the end of the day, that was never for Apollos' glory. It was always for God's glory. And anytime you take what God gave to a man or to a woman for his own glory, and you turn that glory on the man, that's ugly. That's ugly. And, and, if, and if Paul happens to be a great theologian, you know who gave him the mind to be a great theologian? God did. And why did God do that? God did that so he'd write over half the New Testament for us. He didn't do that so Paul could be on Christian bubblegum cards. He didn't do it for that. He did it so that you and I would be blessed out of our minds with Scripture. So why are we doing that, is what Paul is saying. Why, why would we do that when Paul's saying, look, if I have any abilities, I didn't, I didn't give myself this ability. And Apollos, if he has amazing, Apollos didn't. You know what's really interesting in the story? If, if you want to get right down to it, they were saying, much of this church was saying Apollos is better than Paul, right? But if you actually want to stop and consider Scripture and consider who wrote most of the New Testament, who literally turned the world upside down by planting churches, it was the other guy. It was Paul. So they were dead wrong in their reckoning, too, weren't they? Yeah. Does it also go hand in hand with what may seem like a trial today is actually a blessing? So while I may not be the greatest at whatever the case may be, and five years from now I can look back and say, I wasn't the greatest, but I know how to get through that, and I'm help, able to help people now more than I was then. So if you judge them in the moment, you don't know what their potential could be, what their gifts in that trial would be. I think we're mixing things in that moment. We're mixing the abilities and the gifting that God gave me and then the trials that God puts me through to develop me. Okay, and I think there are two different issues. So I think what happens is sometimes I think here's what we do in the room is we sit around and we say, I would serve God if I could sing like she sings. That is so wrong. Because if God wanted you to sing like she sings, he would have made you sing like she sings. 
And what you need to say and ask yourself instead is, what did God absolutely design me to do for the kingdom here on earth? Because when you figure that thing out, you will be unbelievable at that. Whatever that is. So let me, let me give you an example of it. There might be someone in this room that goes, wow, I wish I could teach like Lynn. Okay? Not one might say that. So then, but here's what you got to get. At the end of the day, and some of you guys would know this about me, I'm not really great with mercy. I'm, I'm just not. I'm kind of like, hey, you're wrong, shut up. Okay? So that's, that's, you know, that's how God wired me. Okay? So, but you get, there might be someone in the audience who goes, man, I wish I could teach like Lynn can teach. But all I've got is this cruddy gift of mercy. And, and all I do is ever go around feeling sorry for people and talking to people and trying to help them with their hurts. And, and you don't get it. The whole reason you may be in this church is because I'm in this church. And I've got so many people wounded behind me that your gift of mercy is blessing people like crazy. Okay? And without you, we'd be a bad place. And at the end of the day, what you and I have got to figure out is what did God wire me to do? Because if I can figure that out, and then if I can plug my life into what he wired me to do, I will be remarkable at that. Because here's the God doesn't make junk. God made you specifically to do something unspeakable for the kingdom. The reason we stay frustrated is because we keep trying to be someone else. And we keep trying to be what we aren't. But when you become who God made you to be, you'll be remarkable in the kingdom. And Paul then comes back and says, and if that's true, and if God is the one that gave me that gift of you, that gift of mercy and me, the gift of whatever that is, why would any of us ever brag about that? Because God's the one that gave us that ability and made us that way. And why, why would, why would anyone in here say John's more important Christian than Christine is? What? What? Because John, John doesn't have one bit of that ability other than the fact that God gave it to him. And Christine doesn't have one bit of that ability other than the fact that, Chris, that God gave Christine that ability. Now, you and I are stewards, so I need to work at being better at speaking and need to work at being better at mercy because I'm a steward of the gift. But it's not my gift, right? Does that make sense? Okay. On the question of judging, is it okay to judge inside without saying it outside? You know, without speaking it with your mouth. For example, there's a preacher whom you like more than the other. Sure. You are kind of attuned to such to a certain preacher sure. preaching. Like now in television, there's so many preachers, and you'll hear people saying, I like this certain preacher. What if you say it inside, you don't tell it to anybody, but you tend to go there because of that person? Is that kind of judging on the inside? Because sometimes you're tuned to some people because... Of yeah, see, I, I, here's the thing. I think, I, think, you know, I think the question was, hey, can I decide that I like a preacher and the way they preach better than another? Absolutely. I mean, come on. Yeah, absolutely I can. And the reality is there's going to be certain people who speak in certain ways and it connects with me, and there's going to be people who speak and I go, you know, and no thank you. That's fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. What I've got to be careful that I don't do is say, that man's more of a man of God than that man is. I have no right to say that. I have no right to say that man loves Jesus more than that man loves Jesus. I have no right to say that. Because all of a sudden, they're going to come out and it's going to be what, you know, I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And you're going to go, woo, you know, I... I, I cannot judge the heart and I cannot judge the quality of service. Okay. 
Uh, Lynn, in the part of the passage where it says, uh, what do you have that you did not receive? Is that basically talking about, like, um, basically saying, what abilities do you have that I did not give to you? Yes. Okay. So, in other words, if you've got a, if you've got a, if you are an amazing athlete, see, I think, I think someone who has amazing athletic skill has to ask this question. Why did God give me amazing athletic skill? Did he do that so I could join an NFL team, make millions and millions of dollars, buy a big mansion, fly a... Is that why God gave me that skill? Or is it more likely that God gave me that skill? That in the moments when that skill got recognized, when I'm winning the Super Bowl, or what, that I in that moment would choose to bring honor and glory to God? Which do you think is more likely? See, I think everyone... If you're unbelievable at math, I think you've got to say, why did God make me unbelievable at math? Why did he do that? Is it so that I could be an accountant? And, or is it more likely that he was going to find a way for me to use that for the kingdom? Okay? And I'm not saying everyone who works for a church, I, I can't, you know, you, you, we couldn't hire. I'm just saying, there, your ability was not for your glory. Your ability and capacity was for his and until you begin to ask, why did God wire me the way he wired me? You will never figure that answer out. You will never come to the right conclusion. Uh, this is concerning uh, judgment. Um, okay. Um, we can't get past judging. I think you're judging me. <laughs> I'm not no. judging you at all. I wish you'd stop. Uh, you're hurting my one feeling. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I, I've, I've turned my life around 180 degrees uh, from where I was a long time ago to now. And uh, when I do something wrong, my, my family always says, but you're a Christian. Or you're, and they're always, you know, when I was out there doing wrong, they, yeah. they judged me. And when I'm doing okay, they're judging me. Don't I'm you always, love it? You can't either, win or lose. Either. I can't win or lose with any of them. If you'll just shoot your family, it'll be fine. No. <laughs> you know what? The, re- the reality is we're not supposed to be doing this in the family of God. And so you get that people who don't know Jesus are going to, they're, they're going to judge all over the place. Here's the thing I'm going to say to encourage your heart just a little bit. I love that they're saying that to you. Because here, here's the deal. If they hadn't noticed that there was a change in your life, they wouldn't be saying anything, would they? See, and so how do they notice that you stumble? Because they were watching you, right? And so in that moment, you and I have got to say, hey, you know what? I'm, being a Christian doesn't mean I'm cooked. Being a Christian means I have committed myself to follow Jesus. And in the moments when I do that stupid, stupid thing, you just need to know that I will get up and I will follow my Lord again. And I won't give up. That's who I am. Okay. Uh, rest in peace, my pastor that passed away uh, three years ago. Uh-huh. He was a young pastor, but he uh-huh. used to always tell me, when they stop talking about you, is that's the day you worry. Yeah, exactly. Hey, guys, you, you realize... That, that you and I who are followers of Christ are going to be on display to people who don't know Christ because we, we bother them, we frustrate them, we confuse them, and they generally just think we're weird. So th- that's part of the call, right? Part of the call of being a follower of Christ is being on display. And if that bothers you, well, then welcome to the club because that's what it means to be a follower of Christ is you will be on display in your life. You just will. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, verse eight. Okay. This is a, this is a chunk of verses. I'm going to read you this chunk of verses. It's weird. 
okay? And so when I get done reading this chunk of verses, I want you to tell me what you think Paul is doing here. It says, Already you have, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings and without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that you might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. Um, We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. And when we are cursed, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure it. And when we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth and the refuse of the world. Amen. What? What do you think he's doing here? Go ahead. Sounds like a lot of sarcasm that he had in the beginning. Like, oh my gosh, you guys are so great and we're so bad. It's sarcasm. It's sarcasm. See, here, here's, remember, remember the context of what we're talking about. He's saying, well, well, why are you sitting around saying Paul's better than a Paul? Paul remember, remember that phrase I said a little while ago? Who died and made you God? How is it that you are so cooked in your Christian life? How is it that you are so far along? How is it that in, in many ways, if you're actually judging us, then you must be more knowledgeable and better than us in order to decide our quality? Because that's something only God should be doing. So let me read you the same passage with sarcasm and see if it makes sense. You ready? Let's go back. <clears throat> okay, you ready? Verse 8. Already... You have all that you want, and already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us, apostles, on display at the end of the procession. And what that's about is when Romans would go in and conquer, they would bring the slaves in at the end. And he says, it's interesting, you guys following God apparently have come into all the fullness and you're rich and you're kings. And it seems like us that are serving God somehow ended up being slaves in this thing. And I'm not sure how that worked. For it seems to me that God has put his apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena... We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you're wise in Christ. We are weak, apparently, but you are strong. You are honored, and apparently we're dishonored. And to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty, and we're in rags, and we're treated brutally, and we are homeless. Hey, interesting thing. How many Christians do you know that believe that following Jesus makes you rich? Hey, follow God and he'll bless you and you have all the money you want. Anybody found that to be true yet? And the Apostle Paul didn't either. The Apostle Paul was so intense so he could stay in ministry. And I'm just going to tell you, you're kidding yourself if you think following Jesus is a quick way to money. The Bible says about Jesus Christ, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, which means Jesus didn't have a pillow. Following God is not about making you and me rich. Following God is about following God. 
Verse 11, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. And when we are cursed, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure it. And when we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth and the refuse of the world. But I'm so glad you guys are kings. And it's absolute sarcasm. He's saying, how in the world is it that you, the very people I led to Jesus, are now ready to judge? Okay. Yes. So I think there are, you know, certain elements of sarcasm, obviously. But um, there are a few key words that he used in here that when we talked a while back about worldly goals. And so it seems like he's going through and acknowledging that. He says, you know, you are kings. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, in this world and... Um, and then the wise part, and says, you know, you are wise. And earlier when we were talking, we talked about to be wise is to be a fool, to be a fool right. to worldly goals. So what I think he's saying, and I love that you caught that, what I think he's saying to them tongue-in-cheek, you're wise. But if you grill him on it, he's going to say you're wise in worldly wisdom. See, you're doing this the way people who don't know God do this. You're judging us that way. And you're looking for success. In other words, you're saying, if you make lots of money, if you get lots of fame, if you're really, really popular, then apparently you're a good Bible teacher. But if you're over here sewing tents and people are throwing rocks at you, then apparently you're not a good Bible teacher. And he's tongue-in-cheeking them. Yeah, and so you're right, some of those same phrases. But I think he would come back and say, you're being wise and you're calculating this thing the way that people who don't know God calculate this. You're not doing this in a spiritual way. Where are we on on time? Eight minutes. Okay. Look at this. We are burning up scripture, guys. This may be the furthest we've ever gone in a night. Uh, verse 14. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ... You do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. What's he saying? You may have 10,000 guardians in Christ, but you won't have many fathers in Christ. And I became your father through the gospel. What's he saying? I think a guardian usually judges you, but a father takes time to help you out. So he's telling them that, don't take me wrong. I'm your father in Christ, so I'm here to tell you when you go wrong. So I'm how, did to he take be, how did he become their father in Christ? By taking the gospel to them. Huh? By taking the gospel to them. By taking the gospel to them. you got to remember in the story, Paul is the one that led these guys to Jesus. Paul is the guy that walked into Corinth and for the first time said, let me tell you this story. And they became believers under the teaching of Paul. And so he says to him, look, you'll have a lot of teachers over the years. You'll have lots of guardians over the years. You're only going to have one papa. You're only going to have one dad. And you need to know that even though I'm giving you a hard time right now, and even though I'm kind of verbally spanking you a little bit right now, this is dad. This is dad having a talk with his children. And that's what we're doing right now. You've got one dad in the gospel, he says, and I'm your dad. Okay, isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting analogy? I... I told a story a little while back uh, in church. I told about a little guy by the name of Owen who kept following me around. Remember that? And he wanted to, he wanted to hang out with me. And, 
you know, when you're a junior in high school, you don't let freshmen hang. You, you stick freshmen in lockers and close the door. That's what you, and, and, and I didn't want anything to do with Owen. And I went to my youth pastor and I said, look, this, this guy's begging me. And remember I told you my youth pastor, Wayne, looked at me and said, finally, I'm a grandpa. And I said, what in the world are you talking about? He says, no, no, no. I've been your father in the Lord, and now it's your turn to be Owen's father in the Lord. Isn't that an interesting concept? And that really is what happens generationally with Christians, that you and I should have fathers and mothers in the Lord, but that you and I then should become fathers and mothers in the Lord. So one of the great questions tonight would just be to say, because sometimes you birth, you know, sometimes you lead someone to Jesus, but sometimes you might adopt. You know, sometimes they may be someone else led into Jesus, but now you really are a father or a mother in their life, spiritually. So a great question tonight would be, are you a parent in the Lord? Do you have a child? Do you have someone further back than you spiritually that you really are papine or mamine in the faith? Because you realize Christianity is always one generation from extinction. And if you and I decide not to be parents then maybe there isn't a next generation of Christians. So who are you parenting? Verse 17. For this reason I am sending you to Tim- for this sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life and Oh wait 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 wait, you skipped a great verse. Go back, go back, go back, go back. You guys went too fast. Verse 16. Okay? You don't have many fathers in the Lord. And then look at this next phrase, because I think this next phrase may be the best phrase in the whole chapter. You ready? Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Isn't that a weird statement? Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Doesn't that sound a little arrogant? I mean, doesn't Paul sound all of a sudden, after all this stuff, doesn't he sound a little bit full of himself? What do you think he's saying? Is Paul full of himself at this moment? He's just saying to become elders in the church and, well, elders in the community and imitate him and fathering, you know, taking up the father figure role and stuff. Okay, I think he's playing on the father figure role, just like you would say to your son, son, your dad's going to show you how to plow the field, or your son, I'm going to show you how to mow the lawn, you know, that, that father child moment. What else? I think it goes back to his earlier phrase where he says, I don't even judge myself. So imitate me. Don't judge yourself. Don't judge others. So in that way, imitate him. Okay. Back there. Um, I think uh, it's, it's not like, hey, you know, I walk here, you walk here. It's more of watch what I say, how I say it. You know, watch the conduct of what I do and, and, and watch my life with Christ and, and, and it's just kind of like a, what is it, uh, like like the little guy following you. You know, he didn't, you know, dress like you or did what you did. He just watched what you did and how you did it. And that kind of attracted him to you or him himself to you that he wanted to be like you. So I think Paul is kind of saying, you know, you know, I know who Christ is. Don't don't walk with me to know who I am, but know who Christ is by my actions. So. Hmm. I just have a question. You were talking just briefly a second ago about this idea of fathering. There's only one father. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of having a hard time grasping that concept because how I initially thought of it was 
people can read you scripture and, you know, bring you towards, you know, Christ, but, you know, only the Holy Spirit and God's love really draws you towards that repentance or whatnot. So I was thinking it's saying people can share scripture with you, but only the power of the Holy Spirit and God can draw you and rebirth you. Yeah. I, I get, and I, think, I, I appreciate what you're saying because I think you're trying really hard to make sure that God gets the glory and no man gets the glory for someone coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that's very valid and, and very real. It's interesting. I, when I go to the hospital and right after a woman has had a child, you know what it, the conversation I love to have in that hospital room? As I love to look the mom in the eyes and say, so tell me, did you make that baby? Because you know what every mother knows? She knows she didn't make it. She, know, she knows she was part. She got, to, she got to have this incredible thing happen in her. But she knows she didn't sit there and figure out how big those fingers were and where the fingernail went. And she knows she didn't. She knows she simply got to cooperate while God made a baby inside of her. And I'm just going to tell you, I, I don't believe any newborn, any mom who just gave birth to a newborn baby can seriously sit there and tell me they're an atheist. Because she knows she did not do that. She didn't. Same thing when we lead someone to the Lord. There's a moment in which I may be the spiritual parent, but I know darn well I didn't do it. Does that make sense? I didn't make that happen. But I can still be the father. I can still be the contributor to what happened. Okay? So, and I think, I think that's the sense of what you're saying. Okay, so we're just about done. All right, so let me land this. Let me land this real quick. We just asked this phrase, so then we'll be done. How incredible is it that Paul says, be imitators of me? And I do think we got real close with what we said out here and loud. He's just simply saying, hey, look, I'm living this in such a way. I'm simply asking you to follow Jesus with the same passion, the same heart, the same conviction that I, that's all. I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not doing. I'm just simply asking you to follow Jesus the way I follow Jesus. And you stop and think about, it, isn't that the thing you want to hear every leader in your life say? I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not doing. I'm simply asking you to do what I'm willing to do in front of you. And we all know that every leader, when they make that thing, has to be willing to do more than they're asking the person behind them to do, right? Because when your kids look at you and they say, Oh, mom and dad, you're asking me to be truthful all the time. Well, I don't have to be truthful all the time until I'm old like you, right? I don't have to be kind all the time until I'm old like you because I get to wait till then to be like you. So the best thing you and I can do is scare our kids to death by being so kind that they say, boy, if I'm ever going to be as kind as mom and dad, I better start now. If I'm going to be as truthful as mom and dad, I better start now. Which is always the call of leadership. That you and I would be willing to go further than the people behind us. And that we would be able to say, how cool would it be if every person in this room could say to a younger Christian, come follow Jesus the way you see me follow Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool if you and I could say that to someone behind us? Just follow Jesus the way you see me following Jesus. And you'll be okay. Not out of arrogance, not out of pride. Out of being willing to blaze the trail. Come follow Jesus the way you see me follow Jesus. And we'll be okay. That'd be pretty powerful. Let's pray. 
Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we simply come before you tonight and we just ask, please again, take your word and make it come alive for us. Help us to be changed. Help us to be more like you. God, thank you that your word didn't leave us wondering and didn't leave us out in the cold on how to live this Christian life. Instead, it, man, it really convicts and challenges us to live extraordinary lives for the name of Jesus. Help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.